does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Joining us now on the program, he was the second overall selection in the 1988 NBA draft. We will not tell him about the fact that going into that draft, I think it was Mookie Blaylock that I was hoping for, but all turned out well because by 1998, he was an all-star center for the Indiana Pacers and one of the most popular players in franchise history. Rick Smith joins us on the program. Rick, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be uh, talking to you guys. All right, let's begin with this. You are currently, and I know that you kind of split time. I knew you were living in Indianapolis for a while and then moved to Arizona. So I'm assuming that Arizona is where you are, and then you will be here for the All-Star Weekend, correct? Yes. Yeah, I uh, spent the, uh, the winter in Arizona, and uh, I'll be flying out there uh, tomorrow evening. Spent some good time in Indiana. Okay, so let's go back to, before we kind of look back at your career and just the fun and how much you, you keep track of the Pacers today, you know, being an all-star, I mean, this being all-star weekend and being in Indianapolis, when you were an all-star and you were playing in the all-star game, what memories do you have of it, or was it kind of a whirlwind altogether? Yeah, it pretty much was. I uh, definitely wasn't expecting to be an all-star that year, but uh, you know, the coaches picked me, so that was uh, you know was a nice honor, of course. But yeah, it was it was a whirlwind uh, weekend for sure. But uh, looking back, man, uh, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Uh, it was a heck of an experience, and uh, man, we, you know we had a heck of a team back then too. Uh, not only the Pacers, but uh, the all-star team was was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, Definitely the good memories that I'll never forget. You know, I think that we, Rick, think so much about, you know, as fans, right? Like the Pacers-Knicks rivalry, the Pacers-Bulls rivalry, obviously, in 98. But then in an all-star game like that, you kind of get a chance to intermix and talk to other guys. You know, did it kind of take away – I'm not going to say take away from the rivalry a little bit, but, like, did you enjoy the camaraderie that came with being with guys that you otherwise were wanting to beat whenever you played them? Yeah, I did. You know, everybody uh, seemed to let, just let things go uh, you know, for that weekend. Uh, I don't recall there was any Knicks on the team. I don't believe there were, which was probably good. But, uh, you, know, you know, Jordan was on the team. You know, he was he was really cool. Uh, all the other guys were really cool. You know, everybody was just glad to be there, and everybody was there to have a good time. Rick, I realize it's probably impossible to encapsulate a favorite play from your career, but when I found out we were having your on, having you on, I was only three when you were an All-Star, but I've rewatched the clip countless times Jordan finds you running down the lane you go behind the back to Jason Williams and he throws it down that has to be at least in terms of all-star game and your career probably one of the more exciting like connections and plays to have is that up there for you on your list of oh, plays in your career yeah for sure yeah for sure uh you know that's <laughs> that's one of the plays everybody remembers me by uh you know along with the uh, the game winner against Orlando uh, those probably are the two, you know, my two best plays, most memorable plays that I've had. What did it mean to be an All Star with Reggie Miller? Oh, that was great. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, along with the coaching staff, you know, Larry Bird, Dick Carter, uh, Carlisle was there. You know, it was just a great experience. 
but Reggie, you know, he had done it a bunch of times. So I, you know, I asked him about it beforehand, you know, what to expect and all that. So uh, I was nervous. You know, I'm not a, uh, I'm kind of a shy guy, laid back. So I didn't know what to expect, you know, all this hype and stuff. But, uh, you know, Reggie uh, made me feel good about things that were uh, ahead of me. And uh, and he, uh, he definitely helped me out. Rick, I want to go back to, because you made mention of it there, Rick Smith is our guest. I have always felt like one of the most underrated plays in Pacer history is the following, and I want you to tell me if this is me romanticizing or giving too much credit to a play. When you mentioned the play against the Magic, and I remember it well, Penny Hardaway hits a shot. I mean, there was there were like three game-winning shots in the span of like 45 seconds, and you ultimately end that game with that shot. I always felt like the most underappreciated aspect of that, aside from your move on Tree Rollins and hitting that shot, was a perfect inbound pass from Derek McKee. Now, have you ever actually said to Derek McKee, that was the perfect inbound pass, or were you going to hit it regardless of where the pass was? Well, Derek was a guy that, that did a lot of things that uh, you know people might not have noticed, and that was definitely one of the things. Uh, you know, great pass. Of course, he was known for his defensive abilities, and it's just a lot of underappreciated stuff that he did really well. And that was definitely one of the things he did while I was passing. You know, and I appreciate that he did that game. When you came into the league, Rick, you know, out of Marist, I, I think the one clip they had on draft night was the play from Coming to America of you dunking, right? So you're out of yeah. a small school. You're the number two pick in the draft, and then you you have to play early because Steve Stepanovich gets hurt, and you, and you're forced in as a rookie, and you make all rookie first year. But how far into your career was it before you felt like the NBA game really was coming naturally to you, as opposed to having to kind of think your way through plays, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it definitely took me a while to get adjusted. You know, from coming from a small school, are you? You know, when you play a team, you might see one good player on the team. You're now being in the NBA where there's five good players. I mean, there's a good player at every position. You know, and that, that, that took some adjusting. Uh, and I probably didn't really start feeling real comfortable till Larry Brown came around. You know, he uh, he really helped us as a team, but also me individually. You know, he gave me a lot of confidence. And, uh, you know, that, that really helped me. You know, I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, that from him because other coaches, you know, their attitudes might have been a little different. You know, Larry definitely knew what he was doing, and it uh, it helped me out big time. Which team that you were on did you, Rick Smits, feel was the best? Wow, uh, I can't really remember the years. Of course, all, all, all three teams of with Larry Bird of my last three years, ninety seven through two thousand, were, were pretty dang good. But we've had some real good teams of Larry Brown as well. Um, maybe even better than those last three years. Um, but I don't remember. I don't recall which year that was. The team, yeah. I, I think people here would say, and you tell me if this if if this jives with what like you would retroactively think, that 98 team that went seven games against the Bulls and then Scottie Pippen was allowed to commit 64 finals, uh, 64 fouls in game seven of that of that game. But but to me, that 98 team against Jordan's Bulls, which was probably the best Bulls team as well, that to me was the best of the Pacers era of the 90s. 
Yeah, well, was that the year that we beat the Bulls in the regular season like three or four times or something? Correct. As a matter of fact, I think yeah. the Bulls team that won 72 games in 96 or 7, you guys split with. Yeah, so okay. you know that group obviously with Jordan's Bulls was right there with them. But Pacers-Knicks was pretty special too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I said, there was there were several years, and I don't mix, exactly remember what what years they were. But that we uh, that I felt like you know we should have won a championship. We should have gone a little further than we did. Which but, player, uh, Rick Smith, that you played against gave you most fits? What what player? When you look back on your career, the center that you remember being, I guess, getting the most challenge <laughs> from would have been who? Uh, I always struggled to get the Kim Olajuwon. And in, in my in my earlier years, he was just so agile, so quick, and you know he wasn't as big as me. He was he was almost like a you know forward. Uh, yeah, he just uh, man, he he got me every time. You know, he, he was just too fast for me to handle. In the later years, we actually put Dale Davis or Antonio Davis on him, you know, and I would guard their four guy. But uh, early on, I uh, you know when I had to guard him, I really struggled against him. Pacers legend Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, as Pacers know, you're the dunking Dutchman for a reason. Is there a favorite poster or dunk that you had in your career that stands out among the rest? Anytime I dunked on Patrick Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's true. Every Pacer fan would say that, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's really not, uh, not one that stands out. But, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, against the Knicks, against Ewing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, so. Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, how old were you when you really first started competitively playing basketball? Uh, I believe I was 14. And started at a club, club team level. You know, over there in the Netherlands, we, we don't play basketball at school. It's all, you know, private clubs. And I started at 14. Now, the your home city, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Eindhoven, did I say that correct? Yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah. so you grow up there, and you start playing basketball. What was the opportunity that led you to Marist? Did you have multiple offers, or was there like a Dutch connection that led you to Marist? I did not. I uh, I had a buddy that came back, had played at a junior college somewhere, and he was telling me how great it was in the United States, how much fun it was. So I started looking around, doing some research, and I I got a hold of a few junior colleges. I got an offer from a junior college to come play in, in Wharton, Texas. And then at the same time, I, I just made the Dutch national team, the, the junior national team, and we played against Hofstra University, uh, which was Division One school, and I did really well. I told myself, man, I can compete at the Division One level. You know, why should I go to a junior college? So I kind of kept looking a little further. And right along that time, there was a, a coach that uh, just, just got the job at Marist. He was looking in Europe for players to recruit. And somebody heard about that and told me about it. And this coach was coming to a game in a town uh, about 30, 35 miles from me. So I said, oh, let me see. I'll go to that game too. Maybe I can introduce myself to that coach. And I did. And he, he saw me and pretty much offered me a scholarship without ever seeing me play. And that was the coach at Marist at the time. So that's how I ended up at Marist. Now, when you were playing, Rick Smith's our guest, when the Pacers and Knicks were going through their thing, 
I was in college. I was interning in New York City for those Pacers Knicks playoffs games in '94. And my the guy that I interned for, I was an intern at MTV Networks, and the guy that I interned for, his name was Rick Hankey. He was a producer there. And, yeah, I know, Rick. Yeah, and he said, oh, yeah, Rick Smits, was, uh, he lived on my dorm floor freshman year, and we taught him English by giving him a bunch of R-rated movies, and then he could only swear in English. Now, is that true? <laughs> well, that, that's definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Rick Hankey will tell you. No, that's not true. <laughs> but I know, I know Rick pretty good. He, uh, he, him and his, uh, my roommate, was good friends with Rick. They were both on the on the track team, so Rick was always over. But he, yeah, he's a good guy. But that definitely wasn't true. <laughs> so Rick, take me through the process of when you know Donnie Walsh is sitting with the second pick in the '88 draft, and you know Danny Manning was kind of the prize of that draft, and and at number two, quite frankly, probably because of the fact that you're out of a small school in Maris, there was surprise that you went second overall. When did you know that you were going to be in the mix for Indiana? And what was the process of getting to know Donnie and just getting to know what the expectation was going to be for you? Well, uh, obviously I've met Donnie you know, before the draft. I, I visited, uh, I think, with three or four teams. I visited the Clippers, Philadelphia, and the Pacers. Uh, so I got to know Donnie pretty good beforehand, and he, uh, from what I recall, he pretty much promised me if you know, if I was available at the second pick, which you know most likely I was going to be, he would pick me. So even though he he had said that, I still had my doubts because, as I said earlier, you know, I'm not a very, I was a shy, not so confident guy. So I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to pick me second. But uh, fortunately, they did, and I'm glad they did. Uh, yeah, and after that. Uh, you know, Donnie was always there for us, training camp early in the season, and, uh, you know, things went well from there on. Rick, do you still follow college basketball as it stands? The reason I ask is I had a question for you about Zach Eady over at Purdue. Yeah. He's... Yeah, I've seen Purdue play a couple of times. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't follow it. I don't watch games every day, but every now and then I'll uh, turn on TV and watch, I'll watch some college ball. Well, even though he hit a three-pointer for the first time in his career the other day against Indiana, he is viewed as an old-school style big, kind of like you were. When you look at today's NBA, how much work do big men like yourself need to put in if they don't have the ability to play outside? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've got to be uh, uh, you know, they got to be high proficient, you know, high proficient scorer down low, uh, you know, compared to these guys these days that that are just all over the court. You know, you really got to be amazing from just down low if that's if that's your game. You know. You know, when I look at Rick, your game, there's part of me that thinks to myself at seven foot four that you actually probably, if you look at centers of your era, Rick Smith. I mean, yourself, Patrick Ewing, you know, Elijah Wan's special because of the footwork, right? But, but you know, Tree Rollins is another name that I'll throw in there. I feel like you would have had the best chance of those guys to play in today's era because you did have step back and unique passing ability, but also you know, touch from 15 feet that, that that was rare back then. Do you feel like your game would have translated to 2024? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always think that. Uh, you know, I, I never practiced my three-pointers back then. You know, I just shot, as you said, the 15-footer, which kind of came natural. But 
you know, hey, if I was allowed to shoot a three-pointer, I would have been practicing three-pointers. And, you know, and who's to say I wouldn't have had a high percentage. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have. It's a good point, and, that, and a lot of people bring that up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a compliment to hear that when they when they say that. My youth fit right in in today's centers, and I think they're right. Pacers great Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, is the motorcycle collection still going strong? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 100-plus, so uh, <laughs> it, it's going strong. Now that that goes from collection to uh, like obsession, right? When you when you're talking hundred plus, <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. But when did that yeah, begin? You, a, you've always been kind of a gearhead, right? Yes, yeah. I got my first uh, little fifty cc motorcycle when I was seven years old, so way before I started playing basketball. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's always been a hobby. It's always something I enjoyed, and it's it's uh, still something I'm doing today. Did the Pacers have any sort of stipulation or restriction on you like riding around on dirt bikes in the off season when you were playing or did you just not tell them about it well uh yeah every uh, every contract back then had a uh, stipulation where you couldn't have any fun outside of basketball <laughs> yeah. no no skydiving uh no dirt bike uh, no car racing n- none of that so, of course i did still every once in a while secretly the uh secretly did it but uh it was kind of hard to hide. I, I remember early on, I had some property in Zionsville. I bought 45 acres, and I was riding my dirt bike around on it. And the next day, Donnie Walsh calls me in and says, Hey, Rick, what is this I hear about you riding your dirt bike? I'm like, How the heck does he know? <laughs> so it turned out that one of my neighbors was good friends with uh, the Simons. <laughs> they saw me on a dirt bike, and they called the Simons, and uh, so there you won't believe what Rick Smith is doing here on this property. Maybe they thought it was just some other seven foot four guy that lived in Boone <laughs> County, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. pretty obvious, right? Um, yeah. So Indianapolis would have been the perfect place, I would think, though, right? Because between and not just the Indy five hundred, but it seems to me like the U.S. Nationals or NHRA, and then you know, obviously in later years the MotoGP coming here, like there would have been a lot to wet your whistle, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely enjoyed Indianapolis all those years. This, uh, you know, I, I was into old cars, and I was always kind of a shows and swap meets in the area. Yeah, it was definitely a, a good place to be all those years. Rick Smith is our guest, of course, an All Star himself. You will be in Indianapolis for the All Star Game. What sort of festivities do you have planned, or is it just kind of visiting people and catching up? Uh, yeah, they've uh, they've got me doing a few things here and there. Um, uh, I got a full agenda pretty much, but uh, in between I'll catch up with old friends. Uh, you know, my daughter's still in town, so I'll be staying there visiting with her. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be all over town and and enjoying good old Indy. Who are the three teammates that you maybe haven't talked to or seen in a while? That if 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 uh, let's say they have a pay, and I think they do have like a dinner for Pacer alumni for the All Star Weekend. But who are the three guys that you would most look forward to catching up with aside from the obvious of you know reggie miller or dale davis yeah well i've I've seen reggie a few times i've seen dale a few times i haven't seen antonio in a while um i haven't seen lasalle thompson in a while Vern fleming i haven't seen him in a while so i hope to be talking to those guys i'll tell you what rick there are so many great memories um i mean i don't know whether or not I think one of the great marks of a player 
is the fact that not only did he make mullets cool, but he made bald cool too. Like if you were able to do both that in one career, that's pretty legendary, right? <laughs> yeah, don't even bring up that uh, the bald uh, game, but man, like my hair never grew back the same after that. <laughs> the things you do for teammates, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Rick, I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of fun catching up with you. Uh, we certainly wish you, you know, the best. Enjoy Indianapolis while you are here, and it's always good to see you at games as well when you're out and about your fan favorite for certain and for good reason uh, but enjoy the all-star game and enjoy being able to tell people that not only were you the seven four dirt biker from boone county but also an nba all-star as well yeah thank you guys it was good talking to you here is a trivia question for you jimmy cook where i shine usually sarcastic quotes around that this is an easy one if you do not get this correct oh, no why are you doing this to me if you don't get this correct, then you need to go right now over to one of the fast food establishments on the circle and get lunch for Eddie and I, and we'll carry the bad boy home. You ready? Sure. Which conference, even though I think now, do they? Or which way do they do Let me ask you this. Which way do they do the All-Star game now? It's back to East-West. Okay. That's what I thought. Our next guest will be rooting hard for which team? Our next guest? Yes. The Pacers. No, no, no. In the All-Star game. The Eastern Conference. Eddie, what would you like to eat? Let's go. Pot belly sandwiches <laughs> on Jimmy Cook. <laughs> it's got to be the East, right? Yes. Good Lord. See how smooth that introduction went? It's great. Tony East joins us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing I'm so. I'm not afraid to derail an interview and talk about Rocket League for 20 minutes. This is how I'm going to be treated That's on the right. show. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, where would you like to take this sinking ship? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I would also love to be – I'm very close to you guys. I'd love to be included in this lunch run. This yeah, send me your order, please. Where, where are you right now, Tony? <laughs> I'm at the convention center. Just got walked over here from Lucas Oil. So okay. I'm very close to you guys. How's the LED cord? I saw you posted it on Twitter. That's going to be one of the main attractions of All-Star Saturday night outside of the events. Jake is worried about players uh, shattering a kneecap or two when the uh, you know the reverberations of massives of humanity just hitting the floor. What's well, does the court it, Does like? it have give – yeah, so it's glass. It's kind of thick over like a screen, basically. Uh, but there, there is more to it than that. So the way, it, the way it was explained to us is like players at first will notice that it's different, right? It's not like exactly a court, but after about five minutes, it'll feel like they're just playing on a normal court. And I understand the the landing on glass versus uh, hardwood concerns. I also don't expect there to be a lot of significant collisions in any all-star events. So I, I don't know if there's a ton that needs to be worried about, but it is really cool. Like the, the way they can change it, they have this tracking thing where you can like see the players on a mini map and where they're going to be moving. There's these little stars that can fall around. It is all really cool. Like it's a very unique way to watch anything really, including a basketball game. What I'm worried about with it, Jake and Tony is I envision a player going up for a dunk, slamming it at home, landing, and not that the screen breaks and hurts them, but that you get a bunch of dead pixels on the LED screen. They're just a massive footprint the rest of the evening. Do you guys, do either one of you guys remember when, and I don't remember when this was, I want to say 15 years ago, but there was a brief period, Tony, do you remember this, where NHL coverage, they decided to do like the green thing, not an LED, I realize, but an effect to show where the puck was. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, sort of, yeah. Yes. And it ended up looking like Atari Pong, and people started like throwing up and having seizures <laughs> while watching it, and they had to do away with it. But So my question about the floor, Tony, is this. The, the LED screen, this is for which 
events that are going to be taking place around All-Star Weekend? I forgot about Fox Track. Diving back into NHL things. When they had that yeah, the LED courts are the celebrity game, dunk contest, the three-point contest, okay. uh, the Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu uh, shootout, and I'm missing one of them. Oh, the skills contest. So you, if you're watching all the Pacers, you will see Tyrese Halliburton, Ben Mather, and Miles Turner on it uh, tomorrow night. Okay, and oh, no, Saturday night. Sorry. Then the second question is this: Is this screen? And I apologize for my like old man naivety here. Is this strictly for television purposes, or if you are in the facility, will you be able to, if you are sitting up close, be able to also see the effects of it? Yeah, you'll be able to see it in person for sure. Like the the thing that's like we were pretty we were in the back row of the uh, the like bleachers they set up for showing it, uh, it to us today, and they had a guy demonstrate what it would look like with a player moving on the court and. You can easily see like these lines of stars following him. I think I tweeted a video of that part. And then up on the jumbotrons, where you know if you've been to a Colts game, you know where those are in the corners. That's where they have like the the mini map style thing that we were talking about, where you can see like this little black outline of a person moving and where they are on the floor. And it's it's really close to real time accurate. So the only thing I'll be curious about is how that comes through on a TV screen in general. Like, will it be too bright? Will it just strange lighting but um they obviously have tested it so i'm sure it won't look bad but that, that's the only thing i'll be curious about in in person it looks really cool it's very unique i'm i'm just curious how it will like in the and i i realize it's a flippant competition but like in the celebrity game if you're coming down the floor and you're getting ready to pull up for a three and suddenly the floor changes and the colors change like how, you know what i mean what the hell is going on here right so I, I think suddenly static, it's like playing like, at the hyper at two in the morning on a saturday <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that that could be true. So, like the actual part of the floor that would light up and move during the event, I would imagine. Like if a dunk contest, for example, is only on one end, so the other floor had like some dynamic moving elements. But the side of the floor that they'll actually be dunking on was just you know blue court with you know static elements on there. So I don't think that would be necessarily distracting. That could be a fun way to spice it up. They have to do a crazy dunk while like something comical like a music video is playing below them on the court or something like that i think that could be pretty funny okay tony let's shift to what happened last night in toronto tony east is our guest by the way you can of course hear him on locked on pacers you can read his work at forbes sports si pacers uh for sports illustrated and of course on his twitter account which is tony r east uh i thought down the stretch the difference in the game last night was the confidence albeit for just a couple of shots but the additional option of having Ben Shepard when his outside shot was kind of going there, but also his defensive intensity, which Indiana obviously has lacked in the stretch of games. Your thoughts on last night's contest? 100% agree. I mean, he had one of his best runs on both ends of his whole career last night. And I think I've said this to you guys before, but, you know, they had that stretch where they were kind of experimenting, playing with him like every night in the rotation. And my theory then, and now I really stand by this, is that their best defensive five, he's in it. He is one of their best five defensive players. Now, granted, their best, their purely best five defensively would not have Tyree Talbert, and that's not like their best lineup, but there are situations where Ben Shepard is like a piece the Pacers should have on the floor, but the interesting part is he was billed as this guy who'd be a good shooter in the NBA. That hasn't been a thing yet, right? I think he entered last night at like 27 28%. So to pair the good defense he had last night, including – the game-clinching stop where he was just all over R.J. Barrett. That was flawless modern NBA defense without fouling in the lane on that last mission. To finally hit the threes, and they were huge in that fourth quarter. That was really a back-and-forth game. To get to double-digit points and be the vital 
you know, missing piece in that starting five. They didn't have Neesmith. They didn't have Matherin. They needed somebody to fill up that off-bar guard wing spot. He was brilliant in that fourth quarter. And for a team missing four of its top seven for that stretch, they needed every bit of it. He was awesome. Tony East is our guest. He covers the Pacers for SI, Forbes, WTHR, and of course you can find his work on Locked On Pacers on the Locked On Podcast Network. Tony, I brought up a conspiracy theory, or as we like to call it around here, a tinfoil hat thought yesterday, and I want to get you to weigh in on this. It is clear from the interviews that Rick Carlisle's done in the recent days, including the one he did the other day, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, that the health of Benedict Matherin is a top priority going into the all-star break and that you could probably make the argument he could utilize this more than anyone else on this roster to get healthy to get right whether it's the illness or the bug that he's fighting off whether it's the knee soreness whatever it is this would be a great time for him to get back to 100 percent. with that said the conspiracy theory i have is he does not participate in rising stars nor the skills Ooh. challenge and they in fact replace him in the skills challenge with TJ McConnell. So a lot of chaos there. Uh, <laughs> am, am I crazy or could you see them having to make a tough decision with one or both of those events for the sake of his health in the second half of the season? It's hard this close to the event. I think they just said that Vince Williams is going to be in rising stars a couple days ago, so I'm sure it's possible. But like now, the event's starting, and like the games are. I think there's three games tonight, and then there's no more games. Like they're going to run out of guys who are even available to get to Indian for the event. So maybe he just wouldn't be available if he can't actually play. But yeah, they you know if McConnell's in town, he could do skills. If Nemhard would be eligible for rising stars if they need somebody, if he's still in town, I don't know who is and isn't staying. But yeah, that is certainly something to to think about for these events is if he'll even be available. But what, what, what if, Jimmy, your conspiracy theory stopped short? What if Miles and Ben have the same illness and they both can't be Ooh. in the skills contest? Then what happens? Are you bringing Obi Toppin off the bench there? <laughs> so you're going Tyrese, Obi, and TJ? <laughs> they got to have somebody. It's, te- it's called Team Pacers. They can't just have anybody do it. Tony, Tony, when I think about, speaking of Obi Toppin, you know, late in the year when the – when the the lineup starts to to tighten up a little bit, the rotation tightens. It feels to me like Obi Toppin is a guy. If you were to list players that have gotten significant minutes to this point, the one that could be at most risk of seeing his minutes diminish with the tightening of a lineup. I have nothing to base this on other than just feel and eye test, but it feels like Obi Toppin could get further and further pushed out. Tell me why I'm wrong. That, and I think you're probably right um, because, you know, in the in the postseason specifically, like when rotations really get small, like you need as many two-way contributors as you can get within reason. So the two guys that would stand out to me as like maybe wouldn't play as much, if at all, the playoffs would be him and T.J. McConnell. I know that sounds crazy with McConnell because he's a big energy guy and has been vital for their second unit, but the last time the Pays were in the playoffs, that happened, right? The game four against Miami in the bubble, McConnell did not play in that game. They went with Sumner. Uh, as a reserve guard and Aaron Holiday and didn't play T.J. McConnell a minute. And he, of course, is a different player since then. But, you know, I think guys that have some limitations uh, in Odin's case, his defense, and in McConnell's case, his size, you know, that, that makes it a lot harder to play you when rotations are shorter or scouting reports are way more detailed or just when the game is totally different. So those two stand out to me as who would be, you know, maybe playing less if at all. But that said, that's, you know... <laughs> They're not a seven guys at that point. We're talking Matherin, Jalen Smith, and the starters. So one of them is certainly going to play, and maybe they go nine and play both. But I think if they really need to tighten up, it would be those guys. 
you know, Toppin's been hitting shots on the shooter now, right? He's been very valuable. It's nothing against what he's done or the growth he shows for this team this year, but you know, his lack of defense could certainly be a part of this. And Daniel Smith shown he can be better at the four this year, even when he started alongside Turner for that stretch. So I agree with you that I don't, I don't know if he'd be completely out of the rotation, but certainly a guy whose minutes could be reduced in that kind of setting. SI and Locked On Pacers, Tony East joins us. Tony, where is the sweet spot for Doug McDermott from a minute standpoint when we look at the second half of the season? Because clearly last night he's getting an increase for a number of different factors, and he did play well last night, but Benedict Matherin being unavailable clearly factored into that with how they were distributing minutes and just the flow of that game. But with what will realistically be asked of him and what a fair bar is to ask of the veteran and the former Pacer, where will that eventually settle off once the Pacers are back to 100% in the second half? I have a two-part answer to that. I think if he's in the rotation, right, we've seen that they were relatively healthy for the first two games after they got him and he was available. You know, he, he, played, he played in the first half of both of those games, but not the second half. Assuming he was effective enough to play in both halves, I think he'd settle in at some, like, 14, 15 minutes per game, which makes sense for you. You know, you steal some rest time for Neesmith or uh, Siakam or whatever, whatever position McDermott is at. I think that makes the most sense. And if he's shooting really well that night or a defense doesn't have a good plan for him, play him a little more because he is now maybe their best off-ball shooter on the team, which, you know, after the trades is fascinating. But I think we're going to, you know, I don't know this. I I think that McDermott will be in the rotation at least going forward. But I'll be curious if Shepard has more games like he did Last night in Toronto, we don't have a discussion in March. Like, maybe should they be trying to get Ben Shepard as that 10th guy? Do they want the defense more than the offense? Now, I think that with the bench unit they're going to have of McConnell, Mather, and Toppin, and Smith, they need shooting with that group, right? So McDermott's going to be valuable. He's going to fit. He's going to be important. So I think they're going to try to play him and make him fit as much as they can. But, you know, you, you saw what Shepard did last night. He had a rep as a shooter coming out of Belmont. Like, it would not shock me if that became a discussion at some point, but – I think McDermott, you know, especially coming out of the break when he finally gets to practice with his team here in Indy, will settle in somewhere, you know, 14, 15, 16 minutes per game. Tony, you gotten a chance yet? Tony East is our guest. Have you gotten a chance to walk around? I know you said you're at the convention center and you saw the floor um, just to kind of see the setup for some of the fan events. And by that, I mean away from things that include players holding on to and shooting basketballs. Have you gotten a chance to see what people like, just in terms of bringing kids down and that kind of thing, what all is set up downtown? Uh, not a ton. I, I started at GameBridge, and, like, you know, the Unity Plaza is going to be fun for people all weekend, basically. And I walked down Georgia Street across to the convention center. If you were, if you were in Indy for the Super Bowl, you know what Georgia Street's like, you know, when there's events. Here. Like, there was going to be – I think there's going to be people and stuff everywhere there. Like, there were seating areas. There's a bunch of stuff set up on both sides of the road. It looks really good. Uh, the crossover event is set up here at the convention center. I didn't go in yet because we're not, <laughs> we're not allowed to yet. Uh, but I believe it will be open later today for people to go check out, and then fans can, I think, start coming starting uh, even later today or tomorrow. So there's a lot of stuff set up already in that whatever that is, half mile, a little over, you know, stretch. Um, uh, and I think it'll be a good time for anybody. Like even if you're not going to one of the events, the fact that Indy can have stuff for you to do on Georgia Street or in the convention center just will be fun for everybody. Tony East is our guest. Tony, going back to your pictures today from kind of the preview of what the court will look like and how the setup will be for all-star saturday night at lucas oil this is a weird question and it's not more conspiracies about injuries on the glass or anything (laughs) like that it's a legitimate question i'll give you that on the front end i've always thought that basketball events are just weird in football arenas i don't think that's like an unpopular opinion i feel like a lot of people have a 
whether it's depth perception, whether it's just the the angles, the viewing angles, whatever, it's it's different in that environment because of how towering football facilities often are. What were your takeaways, even though it wasn't events going on, it was just the screen and it wasn't a packed house? How will this be like in both positive and negatives to different basketball events we've seen at Lucas Oil, like the Final Four, like Sweet 16 matchups there? Yeah, of course, in the I think it's 600 levels, what Lucas Oil calls that top part, like, you're up there, right? And it's a basketball court, not a football field, so it's so much smaller, 70, 80 yards smaller. So that will make it, you know, it's, it's just that will make it for a challenge. And I, it, But the LED will actually make it stand out more, and I think the tracking stuff will help people understand what's going on. But the, the they added bleachers down off the floor. I, I, I mentioned that earlier when they were, like, leaving us around and showing us that. And they are, like, right off of the court. And then the opposite side of the court is basically it's basically where the – the south end end zone would be. So, like, if you're in that section of the seating, you're still right off the floor. There's, like, a little walkway between them. So, all the lower seats are going to be, you know, even compared to the NCAA tournament that, that they had during the COVID year, much closer to the floor, which I think will be better, uh, even though, yes, it is a ginormously tall arena with a retractable roof. There will be some high-up seats. But the, they were able to get fans closer to the court this year than they have last time they had basketball events at a football arena. So I think that will make it better. I think that will make it feel like, you know, a basketball event and there will be a, a crowd you can hear from out on the floor instead of Jalen Suggs hitting a half-court shot and the closest fan is however far away they were that year. Jake, any word when we find out if the roof's open or not? I know you always are excited about that. I wasn't sure if that was if that's a conference they have. They flip a coin. I wasn't, I wasn't certain. That, uh, I will tell you that the roof will not be uh, will not be open. It is very windy. They didn't test that today? Okay, I just want to make sure. All right. <laughs> telling you, man, those it is so hard to shoot in a big open air venue like that. And I don't mean open air, you know what I mean? Like just a huge venue. Yeah. Uh Tony R. Well, East on X or Twitter is where you can read his stuff. Go ahead, Tony. I was gonna say I'll be curious, like, you know, players talk about depth perception, messing with their jumper sometimes. I'll be curious if that combined with a bright LED light right under your feet, like actually impacts the three point contest. Totally. I'm telling you, man. This year. Yeah. How they far do. how far away are we from just them wearing Apple Vision during the three point contest? Like, is that the next? Do you next remember step Google here? Glass? Oh yes. Okay, that was, the big, that was the big thing for like three weeks. Was Google Oladipo Glass? Oladipo wore it during the pre draft process, I mean, and they had a whole on. behind the scenes of it. Okay, Glass. Oh man, I remember those. Come days. on, just the worst. <laughs> you don't want to wear three thousand dollars on your face while also hindering your eyesight at the same time. Yeah, I mean, come on, fun right? To you. <laughs> they were trying hard on that deal. Tony, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the weekend. A lot going on, and we'll look for the coverage again. Easiest place to see the inventory of Tony's materials would be on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, Tony R. East. Appreciate it, Tony. Yep, thanks, guys. Have thanks, a good Tony. weekend. Connor Daly will get that kind of roar of approval, one would assume, when he is out in the Celebrity Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game for All-Star Weekend. Certainly will for me because it'll be good to have one guy out there I know of. Um, because then I look at it and the rest of them, and I remember I'm 51 years old. But he joins us on the program right now, and I'm sure probably out somewhere on Fall Creek hoisting up shots, getting ready for it. Connor Daly joins us. Connor, how are you? Well, I'm not going to lie. That, uh, that little intro there of the radio broadcast that you were so kindly a part of uh, made me uh, a little emotional in my heart, so I feel good right now. I feel special. <laughs> it, it, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm not going to lie to you. When, you, when Hearing that clip – um, it probably gets me like the juice is flowing in the same, in the same way, right? Like it's pretty darn cool. It's, a, it's hell. We're only three months away. Right. So 
I guess we'll begin with that. First off, you're going to be back in the 500. You have, uh, of course, qualified for 10 Indy 500s. You will be attempting to qualify for your 11th, along with the guy that's won the race and all teaming up with Dennis Reinbold, correct? Yeah, it's going to be an awesome month, man. Well, an awesome next four months or three months, as you said. Um, you know, extremely excited to be with Dennis Reinbold. I mean, that's the, he's a household name in the IndyCar series, the NTT IndyCar series. And uh, I, 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 when I first got the call from him, you know, he said, I want the best guys behind the wheel. I want two guys that, you know, he knows can win. Obviously, Ryan Hunter Ray, my teammate, has proven that already. Uh, and, and I've been able to run up the front there the last few years. So um, you, you couldn't ask for a better place. The, the crew guys are incredible. Everyone is there, ready to go. You know, the, the preparation that they go uh, through for the Indy 500 is, is fantastic. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be with, with Dennis and, and, and have Don Cusick as well, Cusick Motorsports involved. So it, 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 it's great. Everything about it is, is as good of a situation as I could find myself in um, you know, as a, as not a full-time driver anymore. Connor, what's that process like for those of us that will never go through it of going through an off season and wondering where your next opportunity is going to come from. And ultimately, as you mentioned, the, the feeling of elation to be a part of such a great group like dry and Reinbold racing. I mean, if I'm completely honest with you, which is usually my problem is I'm far too honest, but <laughs> I, I will be honest with you. It, it, I mean, it's, it's chaotic. You know, if you ask me and, um, you know, in, in August, I was like, shoot, I thought I had a meeting with Ganassi to be in that, you know, be in the car there full time. But like, you know, this is hopes and dreams of, you know, if we had the sponsorship, if we had the support, you know, we talked to a ton of different teams, talked to a lot of different people and, and, you know, it all depends on the finances. Right. And so in the end, um, you know, I would have loved to have been full time in IndyCar, but I also, you know, if I was, if I was to do that, I, I really wanted to be with, you know, a really competitive organization. And, and uh, you know, we, we didn't have the sponsorship for that. So, you know, you, you look at, all right, well, now the best thing that I need in my career is a chance to win the Indy 500. And Dennis Reinbold and, and his group, uh, you know, when I talked to Dennis, I was like, this is probably the best, you know, this is definitely the best chance that I've got to, uh, to go out and, and uh, you know, and, and test in April and be ready for the month of May. And so um, every day was different for a while. Through the winter every day there was hope and the next day that hope was crushed but it's um it's an emotional ride um and in the end it it's it's there's a lot of positive things to be happy about as we go forward connor which is a bigger challenge is it a bigger challenge to be to go in with a team that is a well-funded well-established team but to have it come together late and maybe be like the fourth car in, in a four-car stable or to go with the team that maybe isn't as is, is highly funded, but to know a hundred days out that that's who you're going to be working with and being able to prepare with them for the entire time. Well, I guess I've been a part of all those different situations. I mean, I've shown up and helped sticker my own car uh, the night before Indy 500 practice starts, you know, in, in 2018. So like, you know, we've, we, we I've, I've been able to experience a lot of different, things at that race you know as part of that event uh and 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 this situation is is definitely well uh well organized you know dennis dennis does invest a lot of his own money into this program as well because he cares and and that's what you want to see you know what i mean like this this didn't depend on me coming with a sponsor you know what i mean like we're still you know we're still trying to sell it like we're going to sell it and 
find a good partner for it and, and to be involved with us. But, you know, Dennis wanted to lock his guys in and, and, and crew members, engineers, you know, people, and, 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 and I respect that. And so, yes, we, we couldn't be better prepared as a one-time, you know, uh, entrant for, you know, for one IndyCar race this year, you know, the best race. But um, I, I truly believe that we, we couldn't be more prepared. And, the, and I, I've already seen the, the amount of work that's gone into, um, you know, what, these, what this team does to prepare. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, you know, it feels good to be a part of. Here we go. I got a sponsor idea for you. You ready? Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're playing this weekend in the Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game, you go out and hoist up a couple shots. You look good. You get a little rhythm going. You get the Ruffles folks impressed, and next thing you know, you, you got Ruffles on the side of the car. Look, really? I'm not going to lie. This has already gone through my mind about ten different times. When I show up tonight to the shoot around, I'm going to ask for the nearest Ruffles representative. <laughs> I because I, I cannot wait to potentially pitch a Ruffles car, yeah. the Ruffles number twenty four. I mean, it just makes sense. It would be amazing. Um, uh, you, that, that's we're selling every day. I, I've had a lot of different pitches uh, come across my desk, so that would be certainly one of them. I just <laughs> want to see you any time on the bench instead of Gatorade in your hand. You're just eating a bag of Ruffles. Like any time a camera's near you, it's Connor Daly and Ruffles throughout the weekend. I mean, if they don't have those gallon bag of Ruffles like at every seat, <laughs> I, I would be very disappointed. So we'll see. I, I I hope to be. You know, if we win, I hope they have like a giant tub in the locker room full of ruffles like yeah, i think dump that ruffles over the head the whole deal right yeah it just seems right it just seems right for 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 celebration and uh you know for for the sport of both basketball and motor racing just tell them connor tell them that nothing goes better with ruffles than milk and so you can you can bridge the whole thing for them right and just you know i see it in the proposal now i already see it coming together <laughs> right. I, I i've i've imagined this car several times so we'll see we'll, we'll get the ruffles representatives on the phone how much preparation have you done for the celebrity game? What's your basketball background? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't want to oversell it. Like I've been practicing a ton and I plan to go out there and get a double double and, and try to, you know, drain a couple three point shots from, you know, from the corner. But, you know, I, I, I was a, a young lad in Indianapolis playing at the Indiana Basketball Academy, IBA, you know what I mean? Uh, Todd Abermatty's Todd place over there. Um, and, uh, that was a, that was a great experience in my life. Uh, we were the fifth grade heritage Christian Eagles, uh, fifth grade basketball champions. We had a fifth grade tournament, so no big deal. Hang the banner. Um, that was, that was a good time in my life. Uh, but also I, I just love shooting basketball. Like, honestly, if you, if, if there's ever a court and a ball, like I'm going to shoot baskets just because I really, really enjoy the sport. And I'm a diehard Pacers fan, love supporting the team. Um, and yeah, I, I have been putting in some work. I've been in the Pacers practice facility a couple days, uh, training with some friends that I've got there. Um, and, and, and yesterday I did some work as well with a buddy of mine, Jason Smethers, um, who works with Gordon Hayward a little bit. Uh, so we were, I am very sore currently because we were running up and down the court. I've been trying, I've definitely, I've definitely tried to put in some, uh, some work recently. Now, I would think that fifth grade team, when you guys won, you probably celebrated by having ruffles, right? I mean, so this is all natural again, right? I would assume so. I would assume that fifth grade <laughs> class was uh, neck deep in ruffles after that championship winning game. Indy's own Connor Daly is our guest. You'll see him tomorrow night in the Ruffles Celebrity All-Star Game. Connor, I guess to get more into your game profile, 
what describes you more? And you can give your own answer if none of these are sufficient. Catch and shoot specialist, scrapper, facilitator. Where, where, do, where do you envision your game for the celebrity matchup? I envision myself being TJ McConnell. I think yes. he is a very scrappy, fast, smaller person on the NBA court. And I plan on probably being one of the smaller people out there. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm envisioning TJ McConnell. That's what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm going to be out there and I'm going to try to maybe get some very special assists, maybe sneak the ball away from some people and put it in the basket. Um I, I I actually don't know how like how much time each player will get or like like what they'll what they'll who they'll put out there. I like Micah Parsons is on my team. I assume he's playing the whole game uh, because he's probably you know an elite athlete. Um, well, he is an elite athlete, uh, and I've already communicated with him via DMs on on Instagram. I said, hey man, I plan on feeding you the ball any chance I get, and and so he was uh, he was excited about that. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of how I'm how I'm looking at it. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to make a fool out of myself, I, I, and I want to at least have some stats on the board. Are you now, prepared? Connor, here's the thing. You need to have a bunch of assists. You know why you need to have a bunch of assists? <laughs> Tell me. Because you can let the Ruffles folks know that that's just the precedent <laughs> for the fact that you will always you always make the pass, right? I'm a team player. Yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm a but team you, guy. On the, racetrack, you, on the racetrack, you're always making the pass, the pass for the lead. Ruffles up front, right? Exactly. This is a great campaign, and if this does happen, mark this down in your history book. <laughs> That's right. Now, I want to know this. Celebrity, okay, Connor Daly, pride of Heritage Christian, right? Yep. Noblesville zone. When you look at your resume, 10 Indy 500 starts. Now, do we count the year that you – we're counting the year that you qualified but unfortunately couldn't start because I think the car caught on fire beforehand. But I still count that as a start. So that's that's a start, right? Indeed, yeah. Okay. Technically, I did make the race. Yeah, so, I, I right. sort of drove out there. So 10 <laughs> Indy 500 starts, competitor on the amazing race, and Ruffles all-star celebrity participant. Which one is the one that is the coolest to you? <laughs> well, I mean, the Indy 500 for me is – is, is what I wake up breathing and thinking about, you know, I live and breathe the Indy 500 and that's um, what I love. So I, I think I've, I've been very lucky to get to do a lot of um, really cool stuff in life. And, and I, I'm very appreciative of all the chances and, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to look back on now. Uh, I guess that means that I'm getting older, which is also kind of crazy because I still just kind of see myself as a kid from Indiana who enjoys basketball and racing but uh but yeah pretty pretty cool to uh to have all these little mementos and uh maybe we'll, we'll hang the jersey up after this on in the in the hall of suits that I have in my uh in my closet <laughs> so I I emailed the amazing race folks and hopefully we have better luck getting ruffles on board with you for the 500 than this you tell me because you've been on it uh so I I sent the email along with like 900,000 people uh, for a team on the amazing race for me and i sent the video and i did the whole deal right and i tried to tell him i do a little dog and pony show in indy and i've never heard back so does that mean i'm screwed this was like three months ago i think i get asked almost every two weeks about how to get on the amazing race so you're, you're not the only one and uh we we definitely alex and i alex Rossi and i got uh, got pretty lucky with the way we got in there but uh, you know what never say never you you just might have a chance still that that call might come 
Now, the amazing race when you watch it, not the Indy 500, but the amazing race when you watch it, uh, each episode, Connor, it's always like, you know, we're watching it and I'm always like, oh my gosh, like the, you know, the whatever team, I mean, look at, like it's super close, whatever. Is that editing or, or, or do teams all really arrive at the mat like within five minutes of each other? I mean, honestly, a lot of it can be edited to be a little bit closer, but there were several situations for sure where it is actually that close. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we were a part of a couple of those episodes for sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some special, special hyped up editing, but there's also a lot that's like pretty legit. I would say there's a couple times where if, if it is too close, they'll have them like redo their entrance because like they want to, they do want to take advantage of how close it was, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's it's ninety nine point eight percent like super super legit in the way everything's finished, and um, you know it, it was a fun. It was honestly looking back on it now, if you ask Alexander Rossi, I don't know if he would have the same opinion, but I I, I really enjoyed um doing it at now now that I can look back on it. At well, the time, very difficult, but I enjoy looking back on it. You you know why you would have enjoyed it more than Rossi, right? This is very easy I, I, to figure out. I don't out. know. Well, I think probably because you got Rossi got to do it with you, and you had to do it with Rossi. That that probably would be the reasoning, right? <laughs> oh no, I was lucky to do it with Alexander Rossi. He's got a big brain, and he's he does have that. So. He's got that. Like you're right. He's got that geometric brain to figure stuff out, right? Um, yeah, so, he's like the CEO guy. Yeah. So if I get picked for this, how long is it? Like, how long am I out? Because I'm going to have to leave work. Will you? Can you fill in on the radio for me? Well, see, you can't tell anyone why you're leaving. So, therefore, you're just going to have to, like, fake a disappearance or something. Or say that you, you've, <laughs> oh, like, jury duty. On a, Three-week on jury like duty. A, yeah, Sequester. do, like, a mental health journey or something, and you'll be, you're, you're away from your phone. So, technically, if you do disappear, anyone who's listening to this will now know why you're gone for at least a month, a month and a half. Wow. Okay. That's a long time. That's going to be tough, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all right. Hey, what all has gone into the preparation aside, kidding aside, Connor Daly, our guest, he's going to be in the Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game, which takes place tomorrow night at seven o'clock. You can see it on ESPN. Um, what all does go into just in terms of the logistics, Connor? I mean, in, you know, do they just say, hey, get here at 645, we're going to roll out or do you have meetings, prep work? What all goes into this? Um, well, honestly, I, I, it's been cool to work with all the folks uh, that, that have been, like, helping me get into the system because I assume I'm the least famous person in the celebrity game. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not I, – I'm just like, hey, like, just let me know where to go. And, like, do I need to – like, do I need to bring shoes? Like, I, you got to wear know, a name we, tag? We were, <laughs> yeah, like, we were, we were supposed to have, a, like, a fitting today. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I assume, like, we'll get some, like, jerseys, shoes, whatever it is. And, like, I guess the fitting got canceled because of, like, manufacturing, like, uh, issues. Like, must have been the, the holdup in the manufacturing lines. I don't know. So, so there's no more fitting. So, I'm just showing up tonight to the shoot-around. we got a little shoot-around tonight, a little practice. Um, with, I assume, I, I found these basketball shoes uh, that I've been wearing to practice in. They're a little tight, but that's all, kind of all I've got. So, um, you know, I'm going to show up ready to go. I just want some headbands. Like, I want some NBA head. Like, I want a headband. I want a sweatband for both my arms, both my legs. I want to have as many sweatbands on as possible. You a shooting sleeve guy? Oh, that's actually good. That's like a great idea. <laughs> you mentioned it. I, I want all the sleeves. I want every I want every bit of NBA-branded merchandise they'll give me, and I'll wear it. So I'm, I'm ready for it. What IndyCar driver would be the worst basketball player? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, great question. Probably any of the foreigners. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of international flavor in our field and, and there's a lot of really good international basketball players. But like, if you looked at, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I really want to pick the right answer here. Um, Pato. Pato Ward, I don't think, is shooting baskets. I, I just I, – I don't see it. I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't think that he would be able to, like, stand still long enough to set up a shot, right? No, yeah, I, I, I just don't see it. He's very skilled in everything he does in his life so far, but I just don't see him, uh, you know, making a layup. I don't you know see what? him at the free throw line. Polo doesn't look like he'd be very good. That's actually a good one as well. <laughs> right? Like, now that I think about it, Alex, I don't see Alex Pelot pulling up for a three on the break. You know what I mean? I don't either. I just don't see it in his knees. I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> All right. So, tomorrow again, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at Lucas Oil Stadium, the Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game. This is the precursor and the explanation for why sometime in late May you are going to hear me in turn three saying – that the Ruffles – now, what, what engine manufacturer are you going to be in, Connor? We are the Team Chevy. We are, we are Chevrolet, proud American power. All right, so the Ruffles Chevrolet of Dreyer and Reinbold sweeping to the front of the Indy 500, and it all started here, right? I'm going to take credit for it. Gosh, that would be awesome. I can't <laughs> wait to have, like, the giant Ruffles trailer pull up to the bus lot <laughs> and just dump, like – 700 pounds worth of chips, delicious chips in the bus lot. (laughs) Absolutely spectacular. Connor, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy it, okay? Thank you so much. All right, Connor Daly joining us on the program. Now, here are the coaches in the Rising Stars game, and I think there's a ringer in this. Team Powell, that would be Powell Gasol, I assume, right? Team Jalen, Team Detlef, Detlef Shrimp, and... Tamika Catchings. Now, Tamika Catchings, I think, has stacked the deck here. Because on her roster, she has, like, I think Scoot Henderson's really good. I think Jaden Ivey's really good. But but I believe the only Rising Stars player that is also in the All-Star game is Paolo Banquero, who is really good. And Tamika has him. So I think she stacked the deck. She joins us now to talk about it. Uh, Tamika, you have the only NBA All-Star, I believe, in the Rising Stars game, correct? So did you stack the deck? How did you, how did you, this is impressive. Well, and it's funny because I, I, I did my draft board. I went through the whole process with my draft board. I studied players and, and all of that. And even kind of went through how I wanted to draft, like my draft order. And honestly, like Jalen and Powell started going off, like off what I thought the draft would, would look like. But I'm really excited about my players. I think, um, you know, obviously, uh, Jaden Ivey being able to have him and, you know, just what he means to me. Paolo, you know, Bancaro, like he's been amazing. Um, it's going to be fun. So I'm excited about it. It's my first coaching career, my first coaching debut. So hopefully you guys won't, you'll be nicer than you are on some other coaches. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Now, what coaches are we hard on? Come on now. <laughs> I'm just saying it's my first time. And I'm just getting my feet wet, so maybe I like it, and you never know. I, I keep getting the, the question about whether or not I want to coach, so we'll see how it goes and, and move on from there, right? You know, I have said on a thousand occasions, Tamika, 
that I believe Tamika Catchings is the best within their sport of any player to professionally play in Indianapolis. So you have, based on that, a bit of a, le- a curve already. Like, like you get a pass if this doesn't I go well. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I will take it. Thank you. I will take that. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it, right? I mean, I, we've known each other a long time. I have to be nice, right? Um, <laughs> you don't hey, have to. <laughs> what's that? I say you don't have to. <laughs> That's right. You want to. <laughs> hey, for you personally, Tamika, and we'll get more into the game in a second, but just overall, for Indianapolis to be able to showcase itself at this truly what is a global event with the All-Star Game coming here, and I know what basketball and what that arena and what the franchise mean to you. So what does this weekend mean for Tamika Catchings? I am honestly, like, I'm so excited. Uh, we have been at this. Like I've been a co-chair on this committee since 2017, which is a long time to be planning for an NBA All-Star game. But what I am most proud of about this weekend is all of the people that have come together to make the next four or five days, what they are about to be. And you know, one of the things when we were going into it, it's like we wanted to be an experience that everybody in Indianapolis could be a part of in the state of Indiana, you know, just the engagement was given out over a million dollars in, in grants and um, for different community projects around the state of Indiana. Like we have done a lot of things that are not just about these next five days, but it's all about legacy, which, you know, for me, my heart is community. My heart is seeing our youth and being able to give them opportunities and all of the projects that we supported. Now let's get to the game and all of the, the activities that will be going on this weekend. We are bringing not only just great players, but celebrities and people that have never seen our city and a lot of people that have talked about Indiana and Indianapolis just in, in maybe not so nice ways. But I think being able to pull it all together with all of the activation at downtown, I mean, yes, you could go to the ticket event, but I also feel like all of the other activations that's going to be going on on Georgia Street, on Washington Street, in the mall, in and around downtown Indianapolis is going to be extraordinary. So I'm just, I'm really proud of what we've been able to put together. I'm proud of the group that has come together. I'm thankful for the signings and their vision and, you know, Rick Fusion, this is going to be his last time with us and being able to come in in 85 and start the whole, the first NBA All-Star game in Indiana and now go out with the bang with the last NBA All-Star under his belt. I mean, there's just so many great moments that come into this that I'm really excited about. Indiana Fever legend Tamika Catching is our guest. Tamika, you mentioned Rick Fuse in there, and that being it, his last all-star game and his last go-around with big events surrounding the Pacers. You yourself as a member of the host committee for All-Star, you highlighted that like a lot of people that were really excited for the event itself, it gets postponed because of COVID. And of course, a lot of real-world trauma was happening during the pandemic. But the idea to have an escape for the all-star game and get it pushed back a couple of years. We talked with Rick. He highlighted it was actually a blessing in a lot of ways because you got the renovations to Gamebridge and Bicentennial Plaza. From your standpoint as part of that committee, what did it allow you guys to do and envision for this thing having to kick it down the kick the can down the curve a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you hit it all on the nail. Like the renovation, Bicentennial Plaza, um, Hyatt Place right across the street, like their renovation, downtown Indianapolis as a whole and the growth and the things, you know, Taylor Schaefer, when she moved over to take care of downtown Indy, like there's just a lot of things in the last couple of years that have come into fruition. And let's not forget Gang Gang, because I think during the pandemic, Gang Gang really stepped up. 
Molly and Alan Bacon have done a phenomenal job with just the art scene and how do you engage the art scene into all of the things. So, I mean, last night I was driving around my parents in town, uh, my, my dad and my stepmom and my little brother came in for the, all the off-star activities. My, my big brother will be here. My mom and my sister live here in Indianapolis. My, my nephews and cousins. And I got all types of people that are coming in town for this, but to drive downtown and see the activation and see the big balls that have been painted all around the city, um, knowing that there's going to be a lot of small businesses that are going to have the opportunity to do some pop-up, I mean, from the art scene to the fashion scene to the basketball scene to the tech scene, whatever you are interested in, there's literally something for everybody. And with that, Tamika, you know, you had mentioned, you know, having – like say younger family members, you know, kids that are going to be coming down or, or people that live in Indianapolis that want to come downtown crossover. My understanding is, which is kind of like the fan zone at the convention center would be probably the ideal place for people. If they're as a family to come down and be able to experience, is that a fair statement? Definitely. NBA crossover is your glorified fan jam. And we are going to have one of the biggest ones that the NBA has ever had. What that entails is a lot of just fun activity. It's very family friendly. So, you know, young people, old people, all in between. It's a place that you can come. Last year, we got an opportunity to go when it was in Utah. And it was it's just a lot of and there's photos, you know, selfie stations in there. There's basketball. Of course, there's a lot of basketball, right? We're here for the NBA All-Star game. So a lot of basketball opportunities. And then celebrities are coming in. They have a lot of great panels and different players and um, coaches that come and speak. And all of this, like when you get in there, you have access to all of this. And it's, it's going to it starts, I think, today, tomorrow, or tonight it will kick off. So officially start tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday pretty much all day. So if you get a chance, get your ticket, come on out. It's going to be huge. It's at the Indiana Convention Center. It's definitely for your kids. Come, let them experience it because it'll be a lot of fun. Tamika Catchings, our guest. Again, Rising Stars game is going to be at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. You can see it on TNT. She will be coaching Team Tamika, one of the four teams that is going to be in the Rising Stars game. Tamika and I know that this is obviously more of a fun showcase event, right? I get it. But I'm curious of this. From your time after playing and moving into like when you were in administration and scouting players and other things like that, you were a great player. You were an unmatched competitor. Was it a challenge for you or is it still a challenge for you to see players that you automatically assume would have the same immediate competitive drive or immediate like intuition about playing that you did and having to realize that not everybody is driven and wired the same way. Oh yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge, but um, you know, especially when you go into a game like this and this weekend and even thinking about you know, previous years of the all-star game and all of the other activation that's around it, like some, sometimes it, it can become a show. And, you know, people like show, but they also like want to come and watch these games and want to see a game. And so I think really what our model and what are, one of the things the NBA is really focusing on for the game here in Indianapolis is getting back to the basics, which entails let's play basketball, let's play the right way. Let's, you know, yes, we can give them a show, but within the framework of the way the game is supposed to be played. And so I know even with my, uh, with my players in the Panini Rising Stars game, I want them, I want to win. 
You know, I want to go out. I want to have fun. But, you know, my mentality, it totally shifts when the ball goes up in the air. It's like, okay, yeah, I want you to have fun after the game and before the game. But during the game, I need you to come in locked in. Uh, we got some great players. I think it's really important, you know, rising stars. So you got the rookies and the sophomores that are in the NBA. We have a great group of rookies and, and sophomores along with the G League team, the G League players that will be participating. So this is a chance for them to showcase their talent. Some of the G League players trying to get up into the NBA. Some of the you know younger players in the NBA trying to get minutes, trying to get that opportunity to be seen. And let's face it, longevity of being able to do something that you love. And I think anytime you go out and you get the opportunity to play, you need to play the game the right way. Which potential opportunity more excites you a year from now? Seeing your nephew play for Purdue or seeing Caitlin Clark play for the Fever? Ooh, I mean, I'm going family first, but can I put like a 1A is Cannon at Purdue? My 1B is Caitlin Clark for the Fever? I mean, I, that's all. You can't, com- you, can't, you can't even make that comparison. Come on, Jay. <laughs> now, but let me ask you. And I realize Caitlin Clark has the opportunity to return to Iowa. So, I mean, we don't know for certain, but the Fever do have the number one pick. Tamika, my my observation is that if she does become a member of the Fever, that it could be a seismic change for the franchise and just really for the city itself. I mean, just the the energy that comes with that. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Oh, Yeah. You know, Caitlin Clark right now, I mean, I was looking at it. She's got a chance today to, to take the record for the all-time uh, leading scorer in NCAA women's history, passing up Kelsey Plum. And men's. Um, of course, yeah, and men's. Yeah, so passing up Kelsey Plum, but also, like, think about Kelsey Mitchell, who's been on the fever. Like, she was somebody that led, you know, in scoring. But I think what comes around her, you know, like the last couple of years, and it's crazy. I remember I did – I commentated – her game when she was a freshman and people were talking about her as a freshman and I did her game and I'm like, man, she's hitting some unbelievable shots to watch her excel every single year to the point where she's at now. You know, I think it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Obviously there's a lot of hype around it. And, you know, honestly, I want her to pass the record. I want her to get it. But then everything hopefully will like level out for her as far as all the media and the hype. Then after that, it's like, okay, you got the record. Now every single point you add to it is in addition to. But now let's get her to the fever. You know, she comes out. I'm, I'm not even talking like she's going back to Iowa. I'm just saying she comes out, she gets to Indiana. And I think just the, the, where we are, like obviously we're close to Iowa. So those fans come down, Indiana fans. You know, Grace Berger obviously is still from Indiana. So IU fans coming over. And I think just a lot of people – Women's basketball over the last, the course since really 2001, when Arika Agumbawale hit that shot, like since then, from NCAA to WNBA back to NCAA, I feel like our game continues to thrive. Asia Wilson's going to be in Indianapolis, obviously, uh, Sabrina Yonescu this weekend, Pacific. But I think just the drive for women's basketball and what we're what we're building off of, Caitlin would definitely add to the mix. I think the thing to me, Tamika, that's so intriguing about Caitlin Clark is she's a high-volume scorer, but not necessarily a high-volume shooter. In other words, it's not Pete Maravich. I mean, she's she's scoring these points, with at least from what I've seen, within the design scheme of the offense. It's not like she's putting up 45 shots a game. She's doing it while playing well with others, which is why – when you add in Aaliyah Boston and the other pieces around her, 
it's hard not to immediately get your mind racing. Well, immediately get your mind racing, but also let's, let's really like face it. A, we've never had the number one pick until we got Aaliyah Boston. Aaliyah Boston, as great as she is, you never win a championship with one great player. Like you look at the team that have, well, I take that back. There are some, but you always need your supporting, you know, you need the support where we've kind of struggled over the years is shooting and having outside shooters. So I think the offense that Iowa run allows Caitlin to be that. I mean, she's the point guard, so she distributes the ball and gets the, but the ball always finds her within the flow of the offense. If you're watching these games, yeah, there's here and there every once in a while you'll see her come down and without pass and take a shot. But normally it's like pass, pass, pass. Somebody drives in, kick out, and she takes the shot. So I think the way we play here in Indiana and people have to focus on our inside game with Aaliyah Boston, then they're going to have to focus. I mean, we still have great players on the outside. Let's not forget, like, Kelsey Mitchell is definitely one of those players that, you know, we've been building off of over the course of the last couple of years. Now you add in all these other pieces, and I think that it just makes for a great opportunity for us to get back to winning the championship. She has known, likely, Jaden Ivey since he was in diapers. Your chance tomorrow night, perhaps if he screws up a play, to see Tamika Catchings make him cry when she calls him to the sidelines Uh, and gets in his face, right? Rising Stars tomorrow (laughs) night, 9 o'clock. Tamika, going to be a lot of fun, and certainly with everything going on this weekend, you are a huge, huge part of why Indianapolis is able to host such events. So we appreciate your efforts in that and for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, as always. Tamika Catchings, one of the true ambassadors for the city of Indianapolis.